Hello, and welcome to the Satellite Image Deep Learning Podcast. I'm Robin Cole, and it's my pleasure to present another technically focused episode in the series. In this episode, I catch up with Jake Wilkins to learn about deep learning in Google Earth Engine. Jake has been building commercial Earth Engine applications for the past three years, and in this conversation, he described the pros and cons of several approaches to using deep learning models with Earth Engine. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Jake. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good, thank you, Robin. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Looking forward to getting stuck in and learning about Google Earth Engine and then deep learning in there. Uh, do you mind just giving us a brief intro to what Earth Engine is and then we can take it from there? Yeah, sure. So Earth Engine is the cloud solution offered by Google, uh, kind of a competitor along the lines of you know, Microsoft Planetary Computer, um, and it's all based in the cloud. Perfect kind of for your big data uses, you know, Landsat, Sentinel-2, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and we're digging into that today, I expect. Absolutely. And you're you're a bit of an expert in machine learning in Earth Engine. What are the options there then? Yeah, of course. So let me just start screen sharing because I can have a quick look at that. Perfect. Yeah. So first of all, everything that we talk about will be at this link, which should link you to a Google Doc which has everything that I'm talking about. So first of all, let's have a look at machine learning itself uh, in that's actually implemented in the platform. So machine learning in Earth Engine itself is kind of offered in a few various ways. You've got the traditional methods. Uh, so this is supervised, unsupervised, and regression. And these are implemented directly within Earth Engine's kind of data types and, and handled on-site on the server side. So there's no need to kind of bring any data across onto the client. It's all based on there. And the benefits of that is that it's quite efficient. It's uh, quite quick. So we're talking about uh, Earth, Earth Engine offers a few different APIs, but the on-the-fly API is requests less than five minutes. And this is the sort of thing that will run in less than five minutes. It's, it's quite well implemented, unless you've got maybe big data sets. And then outside of those existing options, you would have like what we're interested in, which is the deep learning applications, the more mm -hmm. advanced applications. That's kind of done mostly outside Earth Engine, but it, we they kind of cheat a little bit. So it's still in Google Cloud. You can still do everything server-side. That's the last option that we'll look at, but it's also the most complex. And it's a mm -hmm. bit of a faff, I would say. It is a bit of a faff. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm happy to kind of start having a look if you'd like. Yeah, let's go for it. Perfect. So I think first off, it's going to really matter to people who are looking to do this on pricing and how that's done. So I think it is still free for those who are doing research applications and non-commercial use cases. But Earth Engine has now gone commercial about a year ago. Uh, so commercial applications, you are now charged and you are charged in various ways. So there's three pricing uh, pricing options at the moment. So basic, professional, and premium. Uh, and this does affect how you might go about implementing a solution, right? You know, if we're interested in the batch system where you can run stuff for 10 days, it's going to be quite important to you that you don't use too much of that during deep learning. So it's worth having a note of that while we're going through this. So start with the first option, which is the batch option. Now, batch is kind of the simplest. Uh, because it probably ties into what people are already used to using, so GTFs, okay, and and that makes it nice and simple. So if we start with, in this case, we're looking at Kusheng Wu's uh, segment geospatial, 
uh, uh, package uh, alongside a GEE map. And it's really dead simple in this use case. So first off, obviously, install packages, import them. And this here is our first bit of Earth Engine code. Mm. So we're looking at NAIP, which is an agricultural image collection uh, in the US. It's quite high resolution, I think around one meter. Uh, and we're filtering for some dates, filtering for uh, some bands, and then getting the very first image. So this will be quite early in that image collection and on a particular point, which is here. And if I visualize that uh, just using like a WMS URL, um, that's our image. So as I said, we'll have a look at the batch system. So the batch system, you can run tasks for up to 10 days, I believe, on the batch system. It's at a cheaper price per compute hour. Mm. And it's really for those long running jobs, maybe something that's quite an expensive operation, as in it's going to take a long time. or if you're not too worried about speed and you want to save some money, the batch system is kind of your go-to. Okay. And you can see here, I've I've created that image um, and I've saved that, in this case, to my drive. That's you your Google also, Drive. My Google Drive, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so for a commercial application, you might want to put it into cloud storage, which is also a viable option, or you might want to put it into uh, an asset, which is Earth Engine's own internal storage. So that means it's in their format. You can then run stuff inside the app with that asset. Uh, so you can kind of do a, a, a pre-computation step and then save it as an asset sort of thing and save it as your own image collection. But so in this case- Multiple different doing... ways of getting the data out essentially, but they're all Google ways as far as I can see. You couldn't put it onto Amazon S3 uh, from this no. API. Okay. No, no. So you'd have to probably push it to drive or press it to storage and then to, to S to a bucket so yeah you can see this created quite simple to create a batch export run that uh, this is how long it took roughly um used up two seconds of batch ecu so considering i think we have 10 hours on the most basic plan not that expensive i mean in this case i've not done anything i've not done any composites i'm literally just exporting the image um people who use colab will be familiar with that just mounting my google drive and then pointing uh, Sam Geo to that. So we're using uh, the segment anything model. Uh, and I've got a, a location, which is my GeoTIFF. And there we go. We get our, our nice segments out of that, our segmentation. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a really basic look at how you might do inference. And that's probably quite good for someone who maybe already they have a pipeline set up, uh, but they want a way to kind of do the big computation jobs like your composites or your cloud-free mosaics in mm. Earth Engine, and then export it out and run the inference locally. Right. And then presumably you could then import that mask back into the Earth Engine and display it yeah. there. If you need yeah, it. yeah. So there'll be, I think in the next one, there is a little bit of a code sample on how to bring it back into Earth Engine. Mm. Uh, so you can upload GeoTIFFs back into Earth Engine that way. So the next method of kind of extracting data out of Earth Engine is the REST API. So this next notebook is based on presentation that Cal Market did from Google, uh, scaling with the REST API. As I said, there's links in that in that uh, document. That's got a great YouTube talk. He runs through all of this in like brilliant detail. But we can go through uh, the very like key points here, um, because this is actually quite an interesting 
look at things. This ties in well with X-ray uh, and things like that, which probably interest people who are doing that kind of deep uh, remote sensing stuff. And we're also using this package, which Kel Market wrote himself. I think he wrote this during his PhD before he joined the Earth Engine team. Uh, and it's essentially kind of a wrapper for the Earth Engine REST API. So rather than having to make requests yourself and push it into X-Array, he's built that up himself, which is really nice. Right. And so the first bit is this is kind of Earth Engine. This is like your bread and butter Earth Engine code. Uh, it's quite basic in a sense. We're, we're looking at Cambodia. Uh, we're taking some Landsat images and doing a cloud mask and also adding some extra bands. And I think the end goal of this notebook is to create a deforestation monitoring mm. algorithm. So what he's first doing is he's grabbing some before and after data of a particular area of interest uh, and creating that and exporting, like I said, pre-computing it as an asset. So this is going straight back into Earth Engine, and you can see that here. So EE batch export to asset. So that's staying in Earth Engine. We're not getting out any uh, egress on that. Mm. But what it lets us then do is add in an extra band. So are you familiar with the Hansen Forest Lost data set? Not personally, no. So, so this is a big one that's kind of Google's brought in um, alongside working with Hansen, who's a researcher. It's uh, essentially a historic look at Landsat data for about mm -hmm. 23 years, and it's adding deforestation bands and lets you monitor those deforestation. Uh, so it's, it's got a, a pixel where it will say, in this year, we lost this pixel to deforestation. And okay. so what we're doing is taking a before and after image, grabbing the 2020 loss, forest loss data, and we're going to grab and start sampling that as pixels. Mm. And we can just to clarify, that. so that's that's a, a deep learning data set or it's just a, a segmentation data yes. set? It's a deep learning data set. Um yeah. I don't think the mo the model is is public. Um they've the one note I would say about it at the moment is that they made the 2001 to 2016 data with an old model, updated the model, but have only run that from 2016 to now. So pre-2016, you and to now there are differences uh mm. where the algorithm obviously got better so that's just a a heads up about that one data set uh because it's tripped a few people up i think it even tripped up the guardian at one point sorry just to clarify uh, so the earth engine itself has the model deployed inside and you can use it uh no so it's not no it's a pre-computed data set okay so they're not doing any oh. actual machine on, the on demand okay they've just run it the and stored the inferences in Earth Engine. Yeah. Okay. yeah, exactly. And that's why you find pre-2016, that's not so good because they haven't rerun it on that old data yet. Mm. I think that is a plan for version two, uh, but at the moment we're on 1.10. Um, yeah. Another example of a data set that Earth Engine also gives out, which is a machine learning algorithm, but it's run, you can't inference in Earth Engine, it's pre-inferenced and loaded in is Dynamic World, which is a land cover data set based on Sentinel-2. Um, and that gives you near real-time land cover data. Uh, but they're running that model outside of Earth Engine as Sentinel-2 gets ingested into their system. So that's how yeah. they're running that. Okay. So in this case, uh, we've got a before and after Landsat image. And alongside that, we've got pixels, which are forest loss. 
So then what we're going to do is we're going to take a sample of that data uh, and, and export that as a uh, table. Um, and what we can also do alongside that, and this is where we get into the kind of the meat of the REST API stuff. So what we're doing here is we take our bounds, which were Cambodia, I believe, uh, take the bounding box and split that up into sizes of 500 by 500 pixels with a resolution of 90 meters. So, and then we take the, we get a number of X's, a number of Y's based on that. And we create something called a domain. And a domain essentially is made up of a bounding box and the number of pixels that you want inside that bounding box. Mm. And what you, essentially what you get is uh, a block of domains that we can then make, let's say a hundred of those domains and request them all at the same time using um, multi-threading and, and request those through and get them through as X-rays. Mm. And so that's a really powerful tool because you can imagine with that, obviously in this case, we're requesting all of the tiles to the same compute point, but you could actually just generate those URLs and put that on a distributed system mm. uh, where, and where you could then get it to run through. I think TensorFlow has generators. Uh, I'm not sure what the equivalent is in PyTorch, where you can basically say, if you need more data, look at this URL and it'll yeah. pull that data through. Yeah. So we can pull that through, and this is just a quick look at uh, randomly visualizing some of that. But essentially what we've now done is we've pulled through image tiles with X-rays and samples where we know at specific locations where deforestation has occurred. And we're building up, I think in this case, a very uh, a basic uh, scikit-learn uh, logistic regression model. Um, but you can imagine in this case, you know, put in any deep learning application here. Yeah. And build up that model. Um, people will be familiar with this, your X's, your Y's. And what we can then do is we then have that model and we can now run through our blocks and, and inference on those. And so because it's all in X-ray, we've got X-ray blocks. It's quite simple from that point. Mm -hmm. Run through, run inference on those. And afterwards, we can save those as cogs. And once we've saved them as cogs, so this is just a basic script for running through and saving these as cogs from X-Ray using Rio. Once you've done that, you can then start running through, and this is how you'd upload back into Earth Engine as a cloud-optimized GeoTIFF backed asset. So in this case, what we do is we're uploading it to a Google storage bucket, and then we can actually point Earth Engine to look at that bucket and say, hey, I've got a bunch of geotiffs in this bucket. Treat these like an image collection. Mm -hmm. And now I can then use it as an image collection natively in Earth Engine. Right. So it's a bit of a roundabout way because uh, you're taking that data out, running inference, and putting it back in. But it really depends on what application you're looking at, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you just want to pre compute all your data in Earth Engine, uh, and then do like the easy bit, which is your inference on your side, you can do. Uh, and you can kind of plug and play, as I imagine many people have already got systems set up. Yeah. And they maybe just want to look at Earth Engine to do, yeah, that's, that's like I said, generate Landsat composites for 40 years. Realistically, you know, spinning up all the compute, downloading all the Landsat imagery, be a massive pain. 
Mm. Whereas in Earth Engine, it's quite a simple task to put together. Yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've had a similar workflow using a stack API where you, you get you know queries on it and then you put that into X arrays and you do your processing and then you generate new you know objects or items or whatever and then presumably put you know you can put them back into a stack catalog as well so this is the mental model i've got in my mind that earth engine is quite similar to this sort of cataloging system that it holds all the data and uh, will respond to queries but not necessarily it's a place where you're going to do all your your number crunching that that's going to happen somewhere else yeah yeah exactly i mean they've got literally petabytes i think it's something like 50 60 petabytes i think the number keeps getting too big that they've forgotten to update the the number on the home page, but it's probably approaching 100 at some point now. Mm. Um, so it's an impressive catalog. It has got a simple API, which is nice. You know, for the basic tasks, it's quite easy to do stuff. So it really is, yeah, your big number crunching, your batch exports. It's a good place to do that. Yeah. And so finally, let's have a look at what I would say is kind of the most complex model the most tied in as well to Google Cloud and um, probably, you know, the best performance as well in that case. Uh, but it, this is a faff. I would, the personally, I would, I would say this is going to be, you would have to be looking at building, I think a, a Google platform only solution to find this kind of to be super, super up in your realms of interest. Okay. And and this is the way that you can run the model in the Google AI platform. Um, and I should say, it's a little bit confusing at the moment because Google's obviously having a massive AI drive and uh, they've renamed Google AI platform to Vertex platform. And But what you're going to find is that there's going to be lots of places that still say AI platform but when you actually try and find the AI platform, you're going to get sent to Vertex. So I imagine that a lot of this might be likely to change in small ways, but I imagine grand general overall scheme, this should roughly be, be as you expect it to be. Okay. And you can see in this notebook, which is made by Google, this is Google's own notebook, still refers to it as the AI platform. Okay. Um, and the function calls are still to the AI platform. And the rough infrastructure for the way that this works and before I go through like the, the nitty gritty of this notebook is that the you've got your TensorFlow model that you've trained outside of Earth Engine, most likely, or maybe with some Earth Engine data. And then once you've got that TensorFlow model, you can upload that to the Google Cloud platform uh, at Vertex AI, which will handle your model for you. And it will also handle inference and inference scaling. So, you know, you can distribute that model across maybe 10, 20 compute nodes. And then what you will do is you send data directly from Earth Engine and Google is managing this for you. So it's piping that data for you, manipulating that data. So it's in the right format. It's in the right tenses, puts it through the model as tiles and then brings it back into Earth Engine. Mm. But it's doing that without you having to handle that piping. But it does mean that you have to do quite a bit of work before like uploading that model to make sure that you're doing it in the way that they like and in the way that's going to work for Earth Engine. Yeah. I so mean, that sounds like one of the most sort of practical approaches once it's all set up or deploying. Yeah. And of course, with TensorFlow, you can do not just deep learning, but also like decision trees and other kinds of models. So you could just have this as your approach for doing machine learning on uh, Earth Engine and, you know, 
that would be flexible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you could, you've also got um, ways to build models in the Google platform without actually having to do this outside of it. Uh, there's uh, AutoML, which is a pretty cool platform where you can upload imagery that's pre-labeled and it will handle all the hyperparameters. It will kind of create the best guest segmentation model, the best guest detection model uh, that it can come up with. Mm. And so there are benefits to being in that platform, but I would say this is definitely a very much a commercial application. I can't see individual users or academics really wanting to do this. If you're doing this, just you know, having a play about with Earth Engine, you know, you're going to have to put your credit cards up on Google Cloud Platform and you, you may be reticent to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm intrigued. Let's have a look at this then. Yeah, perfect. So simple importing packages, importing TensorFlow. Um, they link to another notebook here, which is where they've kind of pre-computed the data for us. Very similar to the last one, which is Landsat A. Uh, generating some land cover labels inst this, instead this time rather than uh, forest loss. And what we're going to do is we're going to read that data in, read it in. And I mean, this is probably your bog standard TensorFlow sort of workflow. You bring it in as a data set, um, you run through the TF record. You can export straight from Earth Engine as a TF record rather than as a GeoTIFF, which makes this a bit easier. Um, we're going to run through and train the model we do have to adjust the shape. So that's specifically for how Earth Engine handles, I think, inferencing over space rather than time. You'll have to modify which way your array is or which way your tensor is. And, and we create a, a Keras model here. And then we save that model. And so this model is going to get saved into a Google Cloud storage bucket. And then this is the bit which I say is a bit weird and probably doesn't seem to be that logical, but essentially you're mapping the inputs and the outputs that TensorFlow gives you to the Earth Engine outputs. And you're doing the same thing here. There's a They have a command line tool which you have to use and to actually upload your model. And I did have a look at the source code for this, and I've linked that in the notebook, sorry, not the notebook, the document as well. So you can have a look at that source code. It's to do with the RPCs of how it's called. They're manipulating that, so it's in a particular format um, for, for Earth Engine. Mm. And then finally, you have your deployment step. You've created that model, uh, and you deploy that model, and then, in Earth Engine, this is kind of how you then call that model once it's uploaded. Mm -hmm. So, as before, uh, we've created a Landsat A uh, Sentinel, sorry, not Sentinel, surface reflectance collection. We're going to filter for a particular year. We're going to map through and mask that image, get the median. So, this is doing our compositing and cloud masking, uh, and we can visualize that map as well, like this. And then this bit is like your non-traditional Earth Engine thing. So in Earth Engine, you try and avoid as much as you can data types. Earth Engine really keeps that away from you a lot of the time. Mm. So, you know, your integers, uh, your floats, your unsigned, your signed. But in this case, we have to convert it to an array. And that's, as I was saying before, it's a particular format that the AI platform expects. And then you create this Earth Engine model object. And as I said, this is currently from the AI platform, 
this is synonym vertex uh, mm. platform uh, and you create your predictor and you're essentially you're saying here you're defining you know where the model is what version of the model to use um your tile sizes the projection to use um and your output band so what you expect to get out because obviously some models will out have a single output but if you have multiple outputs you can also define that as having multiple outputs so you could maybe output a three band image um maybe you output think for example with a land cover data set you might output your probability per class and mm. then also your your ninth band let's say if you had eight classes your ninth band will be what class you actually think it is and then you run your prediction and then you uh, do this array flatten which gives it back to you and gets it back as an image collection and then you get your uh the maximum probability which you then rename as label and then visualize that so there's still a little bit of data wrangling in and out but considering this is all happening server side so you're not actually running anything locally at this point there is a lot of benefits to that mm. but it's definitely tying you in obviously you're going to be yeah. quite tied in that platform I'm also curious about the developer experience because obviously if you're working locally, you can, you know, debugging is going to be straightforward, et cetera. How does that work with this, you know, client server arrangement here? Yeah, I mean, Earth Engine and, and debugging is definitely like a tricky point. As, as someone who, yeah, I've been doing this for three years and it never necessarily gets easier. Uh, I would say it's definitely something that you really have to get your head around lazy computation as well. So nothing is actually, you know, the code that you're writing is essentially doing nothing until you request that tile or mm. until you request a map layer. And that's one thing to get your head around as a developer. And then secondly, yeah, you have to start essentially just chucking in uh, get infos and get info is how you make a server side call. And that's how you break up that request and try and debug it and work out as best yeah. as you can. But yeah, it's definitely not easy. I would say that. I mean, it's a learning curve. You start to get a knack for these things. You get an understanding of how Earth Engine works behind the scenes. Mm. But it's not it's not easy as a debugging experience. There's full yeah. guides on the Earth Engine docs that take you through it. And there's best practices and so on. But at the end of the day, it's it's practice to to get to get right. it to work. Okay, get get stuck in, get hands dirty. And Earth Engine itself is also a bit of a black box, right? It's not like you can understand the source code for Earth Engine. Yeah, yeah. So um, from my understanding, I mean, Earth Engine has been around for a long time. So it predates, uh, predates COGS, predates Stack. And so they had to come up with solutions for that time. And so my understanding is that behind the scenes it's cloud big table or at least it used to be cloud big table as the storage format which is and they're essentially using their own proprietary version of cog uh before because like i say it predates cog mm. but they came up with a similar solution uh where kind of like an mp4 you've got your table of contents at the front you can find stuff um i know they use gdal on the back end as well for quite a lot of it and mm. um but at the end of the day, it's a black box. You can't look at that source code. Yeah, mm. and it doesn't provide a sort of a you know a standardized interface like a stack API that complements the Earth Engine API, does it? So they they have stack, 
but it's not a stack API in the sense of um, you can just request images via it uh, because it's still Earth Engine code uh, that you have to write. And they have their standardized API and their documentation, which is, oh, can't get that up right now. Which is here. And so there's full documentation there. Uh, on the client libraries, which are JavaScript and Python, the code editor. And I will say one benefit of the Earth Engine is you have this online code editor, quite similar to Colab, uh, where you've got a map, a little code window, direct access to all your tools, but it's all in JavaScript, which yeah. I say is also a negative. So, um, but ch chat, sorry, chat GPT is very good at converting uh, JavaScript to Python. So if you want to, you know, make some quick proofs of concept and then translate that to Python for your environment, you can do that. Mm, okay. That sounds like a fun, fun uh, workflow. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for this introduction into machine learning in Earth Engine. Uh, just one final question. If you had any feature requests with the Earth Engine team, what would they be? Ooh. Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I'm interested to see how their vector support improves. Okay. I think vector support is going to be a really big commercial application that they're going to need. And a lot of that is handled in BigQuery at the moment, but piping between BigQuery and Earth Engine and back and forth mm. is not necessarily something you want to do. They recently added in kind of, I suppose, vector tiles is what you'd call them, but they call them feature views, which is really nice, really helpful to have. Mm. But I'm interested to see how they improve Mostly the efficiency and speed in in geometry applications at the moment okay. in Earth Engine. That's going to be a big one to get the commercial players on board. Is GIS okay? So just just so I understand, does that mean right now if I've got a model that you know does like building detection and I want to polygonize that and export that as vectors, I currently couldn't do that with the workflows no, you described. No, you can you can do that. There is vector. There is some vector support. Well, I would say it's not as good as it could be. It's what okay. I'm saying. I'm interested to see how they maybe make it a bit quicker. Because I think the main thing at the moment is it is a bit slow. Okay. Right. That's a good one. Uh, let's hope they're listening. <laughs> well, thanks again, Jake. It's been a really fascinating conversation. I've learned an awful lot about Earth Engine today. If people want to follow uh, your personal uh, you know, posts on this topic, where's the best platform for them to do that? Yeah. So I'm not writing a huge amount at the moment, but I'd love to. Um, I'd say follow me on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn or on GitHub. Uh, a good place to keep up with what I'm doing is Earthblocks. Uh, you know, that's where I work. That's where the majority of my Earth Engine stuff goes. Uh, check that out. Uh, it's a good place to see. It's a good entry level point to Earth Engine. Fantastic. I'll put those in the show notes. Well, once again, thank you, Jake. And I'll see you next thank time. Thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah.